Thank you for joining us for the Cross Loganville podcast as we start our series, Advent 2021. Have you ever noticed how some people really enjoy life, but yet you meet some that just seem to be enduring life? You ever noticed how some people seem to soar, and other people, when you're around them, they constantly seem to be sinking, right? You, you meet some people that you go, man, they, they give. You meet other people that they, they take. You meet people that appear to have like a joyful attitude and they're up, and other people, when you see them, they're just continually down. You ever ask the question, why? You, you ever stop and just go, I wonder, I wonder why. I wonder what's going on in their life. Here's what I would say to you, and here's the truth. Life is hard. Life is hard. And, and life as we know it is not fair. You'll hear that term oftentimes share, right? Well, that's just not fair, especially from kids. They'll go, well, that's not fair. I remember Jay Foxworthy years ago in our Bible study, Ronnie, Jay said, I looked at my kids and said, we don't live at the fair. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's good. But reality is, life wasn't fair to Jesus. That's the one we celebrate. That's the one we worship. That's our authority. Life wasn't fair. He was perfect. He was God in flesh. He gave himself away to influence others. When you study the narratives of, of, of the gospel, if you will, Jesus was constantly loving the unlovable. He, he cared about the outcast. He was touching those that were sick. He was offering compassion constantly and giving himself away. And if any person ever had permission to make the statement that life is not fair, I think Jesus could have made that statement a lot more easily than we could. It wasn't fair that he was mocked and ridiculed and beaten. It wasn't fair that they nailed spikes through his wrists and his feet and hung him on a cross publicly in shame. And, and it wasn't fair that they would ridicule him and curse him and, and slander him when he was struggling even to take those last breaths that he would take. It wasn't fair that the sinless, perfect Lamb of God became the sacrifice for vile, filthy, dirty sinners like you and I. It wasn't fair. And so when you think oftentimes that you're going through these tough times, and maybe you are, and you don't think it's going to get any better, and you're going, life just is not fair, I, I, I want you to consider that you have a God that understands and you've got a God that genuinely cares about you, no matter what you're going through today, God knows life is hard. God knows that life is going to have trials, and it's going to have troubles, and it's going to have all these problems in it. Sin disrupted humanity at every level. But I can promise you this, we serve a God of hope, and we serve a God that offers hope 24 Seven. Let me give you a working definition of hope. I think this would be important for you to have. Just the simplest, purest definition of hope literally means 
that you're trusting God with confidence for a promising future. I'm trusting God. I'm not trusting me. I'm not trusting my circumstances, but I'm trusting God with confidence for a promising future. Hope is anticipating with certainty that God's going to do what God said he's going to do. We have to know what God has said in the scripture. We have to know his word. But when we have hope in God, what we're doing is we're anchoring our belief that, God, you're going to do what you said you're going to do. Hope is all about anchoring in the faithfulness of God. And, And it basically concludes that what God has done in the past guarantees that I get to participate with God with what he's going to do in the future. Come on. Hope. Hope is a foreign concept to so many. So many people live hopeless lives. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 3, the Apostle Paul writing says this, We rejoice when we suffer. We rejoice when we have problems and trials and when we experience difficulty. We rejoice for we know they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope, this hope of God will not lead to disappointment. That would be a great verse to memorize. It's kind of like that James 1 starting in verse 2, right? Consider it joy when you encounter different trials of various kinds, knowing that it's producing character and it's developing you. Paul goes, we, we, we rejoice in the midst of suffering. Here's what I would tell you. You will never, you will never possess what you're unwilling to pursue. And you've got to be willing to pursue the Lord in the midst of hardship and difficulty, no matter what's coming your way. If you've got gut-level honest, that word hope is thrown around just very loosely today. But what do you really hope will happen today? What do you hope will happen this week? What do you hope will happen over maybe 2022? What are you hoping for, right? You hope you get that job, or you hope that you pass that test, or you hope that that cancer is healed, or that loved one is restored and healed, or you hope that your kids would surrender to Christ. You hope. What what are you really hoping for? Let me give you three key elements of hope, and I find this to be very fascinating. I would write this down. There's three key elements of hope. What you have is when, when you start to enter in into this realm of, of hope, you have assessment, you have object, and then you have expectation. Let me explain. We make an assessment. And we see something that's not right, whether it's a, whether it could be a room in your house or whether it's a person or whether, whether it's a person, place, or thing. You see something, you go, that's not right. And so we make this assessment of what we think would make that better or fix it. This is, this is the way we, we navigate, right? And so we, we always start with assessing a situation. Then we have an object that we're anchoring, if you will, our hope in. There's an object that we're placing some type of confidence in. And we're asking that something or someone to fix what is broken and make it right. That, that's the reason, like, People say prayer changes things. No, prayer does not change things. It is the object that we're praying to, Jesus Christ, that brings about change. Object is absolutely crucial when you start to move toward hope. 
Because you can hope in a lot of wrong things. So, so you've, got, you've got this assessment you make, and then all of a sudden you say, well, uh, we're putting our trust and confidence in some object. Then we have the expectation. And the expectation of, is basically what could be and what should be. And what we conclude is if our, if our object of trust comes through, then things are going to get better. And so that's the reason for some people, it's a job, it's a relationship. It's, it can be so many different things. But if that object comes through, it, it's going to get better. And sometimes our expectations are, are realized and sometimes they're not. But if you study scripture, there's two places that you can basically look for hope. You can look vertically or you can look horizontally. Two places. And if you look horizontally, you're going to look to stuff. You're going to look for that right experience. You're going to look to possessions. Or you're going to look to some person to try to fix or sustain who you are. If you look on the horizontal I can promise you this, it's always going to leave you empty. Or we can look vertically to the person of Christ and we can anchor what we truly believe and long for in the promises of the reliability of his word. So every person that's going through suffering, trial, turmoil, problems, whatever, they're looking somewhere to something to offer them hope. And when you look horizontally, I can promise you this. You're going to rely on people, oftentimes, who have the same brokenness that you do to bring about healing in you. They're as jacked up and messed up as you are. They can't fix themselves and they can't fix you. And so when you look to people, at best they will provide temporary relief or temporary pleasure, but the ultimate end is always going to be disappointment. I got to get this job, got to make more money, got to have this house, I got, I got, to, I got to get with this person. And, and, and even after you do, I promise you, it, it's a disappointment. But based on Romans 5, verse 5, the hope of God that is found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ will never disappoint. I love that verse. Hope in God. I, I'm anticipating, God, that I'm trusting you, God. I'm leaning into you. I'm pressing into you that you're going to provide a favorable outcome eventually. It might not be today, but you're faithful and you're dependable and you're trustworthy and, and you're Jireh. You're Jehovah Jireh. You're the God that provides. You're the God that's going to see me through hope. And hope is missing in so many people's lives. Here's something I wrote down. God is more concerned in transforming you than he is giving you what you want. God is more committed and God is more concerned with shaping you and conforming you into the likeness of Christ than he is you getting what you want. So here's three principal thoughts I would share with you regarding hope. One, recognize God's presence. If I am a child of God, a believer, no matter where I'm at, no matter what I'm going through, I, I've got to recognize God's presence. He says, rejoice in suffering. Rejoice in your troubles and your trials. It doesn't mean that I'm celebrating bad news. It doesn't mean I'm celebrating this as jacked up as it might be. We've gone through so much over the last week even 
And, and we've seen so much heartache and so much heartbreak. And I'm not celebrating bad news. But I'm rejoicing in God that God is there. God is faithful. And the presence of God is, is, is there. So, so it means that what God is doing in the moment, even though I might not be able to see it, it's redemptive. And redemptive means that God is not going to waste this hurt, this pain, this disappointment, that God is going to use it. That's where I have to live. God, you're going to redeem this situation to yourself. God, you're going to use this pain, this heartache I'm going through for your glory, for my own good, and potentially so that I eventually might comfort somebody else. That is a a way legit perspective to have. And, And I can tell you our greatest times of growth and I know this personally, but our greatest times of growth is when we've exhausted everything we have, and the only thing we have left is the Lord. It's like, God, I don't have anything else. All right, so where's, where's my buddy Stephen sitting? Stephen, where you at, babe? Stand up. Oh, I love this young man right here. I want you to, to look at Stephen, Okay. And we're going to pray over you at the end of our time today. I, I just want to lift you up, all right? You can have a seat. But this young man started attending our church about a year ago, okay? And God was doing even a deeper work in his life. And he and his uh, wife, Hannah, had, had separated, and God was bringing them back together. They started coming to church here. God started bringing about restoration and healing in their marriage. They started pressing into the Lord. They started leaning into the Lord. I have a little two-year-old. Two weeks or three weeks ago, they had another child. But Hannah goes in. Hannah's not feeling right. She's not feeling well. Something is off a little bit. They do a C-section, and they, they take the baby. And, and, and so they tell Stephen that, if we do not transport Hannah and get her to the right place with the right medical staff and the right equipment, she's not going to make it through the night. And so they transported her to Piedmont, Atlanta. And so they got her own machines and they got the doctors around her and she was starting to, to show signs of healing and health. 22-year-old, beautiful girl. Hannah, her name means joyful one. And so we were praying for Stephen and their little son, Braden that was just born, he's right at three weeks old now, and the little dude's in the NIC unit over here, and we're, they're, they're trying to get his body healthy and strong, and, 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 and so this dude right here with a two-year-old, with a baby, with his wife now in ICU, he was fired up, and on Tuesday, he, he was sharing with me, man, I, I was going to go see her. He got to the hospital, and within 10 to 20 minutes of being there, he told me she coded 22 years old, she flatlined, and she passed away. And we're going to do a celebration of life at 2 o'clock here today to celebrate Hannah. But my brother Stephen looked at me on Thursday morning when we were sitting there talking, and he was telling me about God's presence being with him and God's peace being with him, that Hannah even sent his sister in the last week a note that said, God has said no more. God has said no more. And he truly believed that God's going to take her. But you told me, man, that once they said she's passed away, 
He goes, it didn't make any sense. It wouldn't make any sense to hardly anyone. He goes, but I went outside and I wanted to sing and I wanted to shout and I wanted to jump for joy because I knew God had taken my my wife and she was with Jesus and she wasn't suffering. And I told him, I said, the grace of God that's on your life right now and the grace that's carrying you right now, you don't have that hope without God's presence. God has met him. God is loving him. And it's like, wow, it's so heavy. Do you have that hope? You've got to have it when you go through the highs, the lows. There's no way my buddy can make it through this tough time right now. I would tell you a second thing is not only recognize God's presence, but you've got to rely on God's provision. Again, Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. Literally, God wants to see you through. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. It's not specifically ever identified, but he had a problem. He had an issue. He had a difficulty. And you go, why? Even Paul would say, uh, God gave me affliction, pain, difficulty, whatever. God gave me this to keep me humble and useful and dependent so that I would not become proud. I'm like, that's your perspective? Yes. Paul would basically say this thorn, this problem, God was using it to develop character and deeper growth and maturation in my life. And oftentimes we try to eliminate pain, sorrow, difficulty, thorns, And God goes, I'm trying to use this to keep you humble and to bring about maturation. And the hell that you're going through right now may be the very circumstance that God is desiring to use to cause you to depend on him more. He goes, I haven't left you. I promise you I would never leave you or I would never forsake you. I'm not going to leave you. But the more... Life kind of throws these challenges and these difficulties our way. I can tell you, stop, just stop and recognize God's presence. God, you're here. You're doing something. I don't know what you're doing. You didn't send me a text and go, here's why I'm going to take this girl home right now. But I see your provision, and I see your presence, and I see your power. That's the third thing I would tell you. In the midst of whatever you're going through, you've got to receive God's power. God wants to strengthen you. God wants to carry you. Paul would go on to say in 2 Corinthians 12, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, not my strengths, not my gifts, not my popularity, not my fame. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Hey, what are you boasting about? I'm boasting that I'm weak. I'm boasting that I know I can't do it. I know I can't make it. I know I can't, but I'm boasting because the strength and the power, the dunamis of God, the dynamite power of God is in me. It's resting in me. I've never had this. I've tried to do it on my own, and God has got me to a place where I've run out of myself. So what is your weakness? 
What are your weaknesses right now? And I promise you, the perspective change and the attitude change can happen when you stop and go, I'm going to boast about this pain, and I'm going to boast about this thorn, and, and, and God, I'm boasting in you because you're going to carry me somehow, and I don't know how it's going to happen. Come on. Is it hard? Yes. Does it seem impossible? Yes. Does it seem, this ain't fair? Yes. It does. And Stephen, I want you to hook up with my sister, Heather, whose daughter, around 22 years old, passed away a year ago. And the pain that she's gone through, she's had those days where she goes, I can't get up. There's no way I can do it. It's too heavy. And somehow God's presence and power has carried my sister through all this. And it still hurts, and it's still grief, and it still, still sucks. But God has carried her. She couldn't make it. Listen to me. When people lose hope, they lose their ability to dream. When, when people lose hope, discouragement replaces joy and fear replaces faith, and anxiety replaces prayer, and insecurity replaces any confidence that we might have, and tomorrow's dreams appear nothing more than nightmares, and it's a brutal way to live. And there's so many people living just defeated. Oh, why so downcast, oh, my soul, just depressed and just hurting my buddy Ronnie and I were talking on the way over this morning, and I promise you, the amount of people trying to get in for counseling appointments between Thanksgiving and Christmas, it's like, how do I go through this time of the year? What do I do? And they're so weighed down. Howard Hendricks gave a powerful definition of discouragement. He said, discouragement is the anesthetic the devil uses on a person just before he reaches in and carves out his heart. And when you're, live, when you're living there in discouragement and just anxiety and depression is hard. And God, I do believe, wants to bring about healing in this room today. Jesus is our thrill of hope. He wants to walk with you. And I can tell you, we can experience hope in Jesus' name. It is a hope that does not disappoint. When you start to walk in hope, let me give you three observations here. When you start to really walk in hope, Hope will change how you see yourself. It will change how you see yourself. Instead of living in defeat and in stable misery and just, oh, you'll go, life is temporary here. This is not home. I belong to God. It's starting to change how I view myself, that the worst things that can happen to me will never separate me from the love of God. I really believe God is for me. And I start to see God start to grow me with endurance and perseverance. And God starts to develop a deeper character in me and more humility and more brokenness so that I have more compassion and love for my neighbor and my fellow man. It's like, oh, God, I'm starting to see myself different. I'm starting to see you different. I'm starting to see you. You're not a cosmic Santa that I just sit on your lap and tell you what I want and you always answer me and give me what I want. I see you as a, a much greater God that carries me in my pain and my guilt and my shame and my hurt. 
and you carry me and you offer me your strength. I can really do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I really believe that my God is going to supply everything I need. It's like, how do you get there, Andrew? You have to belong to God. You have to belong, then you believe, and then you just press in and go, I got to have you. I got to have you. I, I, I don't want to try it on my own anymore. So it changes how we see ourselves. It also, when you start to press in and lean into the hope of God, it starts to change what you value. You start to live with eternity as your backdrop. You're no longer trying to stockpile everything you can for an earthly statement. You're not controlled by the dollar. You're not controlled by debt. You start to really live life going, that's where I'm going. I'm going to be with the Lord forever and ever. And you start storing up treasure. There is your primary storing place. And I'm telling you right now, we allow this world, as I said, just uh, the worry and the lust and the greed of this world to get such a stronghold on us at times. And, and we get so attached that we're trying to protect this. And God goes, lay up, store up your treasure in heaven. Live with eternity as your backdrop. And once you start to do that, it's going to change what you value. You'll start to value the things of God. And I promise you this, it will determine what you do with your life, time, talents. It will, when you start to really get this eternal perspective because you're anchored in the object of hope, which is Christ Jesus, I promise you it's going to change what you do with your life. And, and Ephesians 5, Paul was writing and he goes, hey, hey believer, Follower of Christ, the one who's anchored in the hope of the gospel, the one who's been saved by grace through faith, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything you can ask or think. Hey, believer, listen to me. Be careful how you live. That's what he says in verse 15. Be careful how you live. Make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of your day. Make the most of every moment. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. Let the Holy Spirit fill you. Let the Holy Spirit control you and then do what God wants you to do. Not what advertisement says. Not what manipulators say. Hey, understand God's will for you and do it. Think about this. People with hope. And this is just observations. But people with hope have meaningful relationships with other people. You look and go, they're not... Uh, they're not stranded here with an earthly perspective. They're kingdom kids. They actually love God and love their neighbor. You look and go, they got meaningful relationships. Well, that's good. Uh, people with hope are more productive. They get more out of their day. They get more out of their week. They get more out of their year. They get more out of life. It's like, well, how are you so productive? Because I got hope. I'm not living with guilt and shame. I, I, I'm not living in all this inner turmoil. Well, that, 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 that's, that's a good benefit of hope. People with hope are over, overcomers of stress. It's like, is it easy to overcome worry, anxiety, and stress? But I can tell you this. People that have hope anchored in Christ, you go, they overcame that. that they didn't. The strength of God in them, well, I'll be doggone. People with hope are more compassionate with other people. 
They care about other people. They're mindful of other people. They're not just consumed with themselves. You watch people with hope. They make other people in places they walk in better. What happened? Well, they're not sinking, they're soaring, and they're not taking, they're giving, and they're not enduring, they're enjoying. They got hope. They got the hope of Christ in them. They repented. They surrendered. I'm like, yes. They're more successful. They're more content. People with hope, Brian, you look and go, man, there's a contentment in that dude right there. I don't have it. How do you get that? Uh, uh, Can I tell you this? People that are hopeful are physically more healthy. You know this when you're hopeless and you're stuck and you're, 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 you're just in a rut. People use food and they use alcohol and everything else to sedate and medicate and it, it gets sloppy. When you start to live a life of hope, I'm going to give you some, some thoughts here in a bit. But all of a sudden you're like, I'm starting to get healthy because it starts to change you spiritually, then mentally, then physically, body, soul, and spirit. God goes, I'm starting to change you. You ever notice that people with hope live with higher standards? They're not okay with just so-so, okay? They start to live with higher standards. Man, I belong to the king. I am a king's kid. Ah. And, and people with hope start to see God as loving and caring and forgiving and graceful. The people that, that know Christ, they live with purpose and Purpose leads to encouragement, and encouragement leads to hope, and hope leads to change, and hope that leads to change, change leads us to a better future. People go, man, I want to have a better future. you got to start living with purpose. Purpose is found in Christ, and it's going to start leading you toward encouragement instead of discouragement. Satan, he's going to come at you, but his grip is going to start to loosen because of the shed blood and power of the gospel. God is going to start to free you. You start to walk in hope, and when you start to walk in hope, it starts to change you. Here's the question, is Jesus your purpose, and is he your hope for a living? That that is it. Is Jesus your purpose, and is he your hope for living? Are you anchored in on him? Hope liberates Hope releases you from the past. When you start to walk in hope, the chains of yesterday that have imprisoned you for so long, all of a sudden you start singing, my God is a chain breaker. I've been held to my past hurts, my past pains, all these dysfunctional family patterns that I come from, this guilt, this shame, this lack of confidence, Bam! Oh, praise God, I'm liberated. I'm no longer held captive to my past. It it, it sets you free to dream. (laughs) You, You start to see what you haven't seen in a long time. It starts to lead you to deeper personal growth and relational health. And you're going, man, spiritual maturation is a real thing. Praise the Lord. Why? Because I'm walking in the hope of the gospel and it liberates. But the hope of Jesus motivates. It motivates me to bounce back when I get knocked down. And we're all going to get knocked down. Life is not fair. It's hard. Every successful person, every person I know that's ever done anything and become anything 
had to bounce back from setbacks. They had their lunch handed to them. They got fired. My buddy Ronnie, I'll never forget when a tornado wiped his farm out. It was his livelihood. Wiped him out. What are you going to do? You're going to moan and groan and complain? Oh, dude, God's trying to get my attention. I'm like, I would say yes. So what is he trying to get your attention for? I feel like I'm supposed to go back to school and become a Christian counselor. Well, that's a little different than being a chicken farmer, right? But, but people with hope, they bounce back. Hope looks at what can be instead of just what is. And, and you start to see it differently. You start to have vision. You dream, right? Hope looks at the future with some excitement, not gloom, despair, ag- Oh. I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be interesting. Hope refuses to empower the current valley that you're in. You're walking through the valley, but you're not going to stay there forever. Because hope believes that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. My God's with me. And Tim, when we anchor there, brother, it starts to, how are you getting through the valley? I'm not by myself. He told me he is with me. Even in Matthew Lo, I am with you even until the ends of the age. You know what I know? Hope is the fuel that makes the world a better place. Hope is the fuel that makes the world a better place. People with wealth don't change the world. It is people whose hearts have been strengthened with hope that change the world. It's like, if I had all this money, I could do that. No, if you get the hope of the gospel and the hope that only Christ offers deep down inside of you, you go, that's what's changing the world. It's the hope of the Lord. Let me give you six principles, and I'm going to wrap it up. But I want you to think about this. Hope gives us courage to get up in the morning. Hope will give you courage to wake up. Christ-centered hope is a joyful longing for the glory of God to be revealed in your life based, again, on the reliability of the word. If Paul says in Romans 1, we're saved from glory to glory, hope in the glory of God that God is going to do something new in you, fresh in you, that he's never done before, if you will repent, surrender, and yield to him, it gets you up. I don't know. Hey, God's, God's a new God. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. I'm new today. I haven't lived this day before. And you start to say, hey, I've got a, a reason to get up. You start to long for the future, less than being attached to the past. And, and, and so many people, they just get there. And you, you start to walk in hope, and it starts to erase the regrets of yesterday. It starts to increase some momentum for today. It gets you up. Hey, you know, those regrets, you're not living in that anymore. You're going to learn from them. But hope starts to increase momentum to say, all right, how can I be the best version of what God is desiring me to be today, Norm? He's getting me up. It's time to roll. Do we all have regrets? Do we all have remorse? Do we all have junk in our past? Yes. But hope starts to get me up. Hope gives me energy for today. Living today is possible because I'm living with eternity as the backdrop, I've got reason to live today because eternity is my reality. 
I'm going to spend eternity with the Father. Again, God's going to say, give me back my breath. We don't know how many we get. It just happened on Tuesday that God told that beautiful little 22-year-old, Hannah, give me back my breath. She was already walking with the Lord. She's just in a different location. How can you get up? How do you have energy to go through the day? Because what most people dread, death has lost its sting and it doesn't scare me. What most people dread doesn't scare me. That's what we experienced over the last 20 months. We don't know what's going to happen, but you could get this. And if you get this, you could get sick. And if you get sick, you could die. That don't scare me. Because Jesus has conquered death all in the grave. Dying is gain, Paul would say. You're not scared of it? No, it gives me energy for today. What most people dread. We're kind of looking forward to, even Paul would say, you know, to be with you is, is like really important, but I want to be with him. I, I, I'm ready to check out and be with the Lord. Even John on the Isle of Patmos, he's getting all this revelation of God and God's showing him about the churches and, and future things that are going to happen during this rapture time. And, and, and it's almost like, hey, John, I want you to write this and I want you to write that. And then we get to the point where he says, uh, Hey, hey, anything else? And John goes, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly. I'm ready to be with you. It gives us energy, right? I want to be all I can be here. But if the Lord says, hey, yes, we'll be with the Lord forever. Can I tell you another thing? It brightens our dark days. When you're walking in hope, it starts to brighten the dark days. Hope does not deny. Hope does not deny that painful experiences exist. It's like, no, that exists. But hope is a bright light that shines down into the dark valley of pain and says, hey, Jesus is the light of the world and the light of the world is with you. Isaiah 9, that great prophetic passage. Listen to what Isaiah says. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness a light will shine. He was prophetically saying that the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, he's coming. He's going to be a bright light that shines in a dark world. You're going through some dark times. I promise you, look for light. Look for the light of Christ. God is wanting to illuminate you no matter what you're going through. Here's another thing I would tell you about hope. Hope is contagious. It is contagious. The truth is, we can drag other people down with our negative, complaining spirits. We can lift other people up with our hopeful spirits. Michael, you've been around and you get around people and you go, oh, these people right here are so negative. And they complain all the time and they just pull people down. You see a person of hope walk in. They start to raise the tide Oh, you can, you can pull people up to a higher level with you. You can. And I've seen people walking in hope going, they just change. They, they change the temperature when they walk in the room. They're not living in defeat. There's another one. Hope can bring about healing. One of the first things I try to do when people come in for counseling, 
as soon as I can, after I listen and inquire and try to process, I, I try to offer people hope. I do. Why? They're not sitting down because they're the most hopeful people on the planet. They're sitting down wanting to talk because they're discouraged and they feel beat up and hurting people start to think, things cannot and things will not get any better. I'm stuck forever. You ever hear people say that? It's just the way it is. This is the way the rest of my life is going to be. I promise you one of the first things I try to do is offer hope. Hey, I promise you, there's a way out. I promise you, there's things that you can do to get that checkup from the neck up to eliminate stinking thinking. There's things you can do to start to win. And we're, we're going to walk it out. And it may be crawling initially in baby steps, whatever, but we're moving in the right direction. Hopeful people want to see other people experience healing. And then here's the last thing I would tell you. Hope produces action. When you're walking in hope, it doesn't mean that we just sit, wait, and do nothing. Sometimes God tells us to sit, wait, and do nothing. But if I'm walking in hope, it's not like I'm like isolated, locked in the basement. Hope motivates. Hope creates action. It creates movement for me. When we hope for a better church, you know what we do? I'm hoping our church gets better. Great. If you do, you will start to give and serve to it. You won't be the peanut gallery that bashes what's going on, who never gives or serves. You'll actually start contributing. Well, I hope my kids, I hope my kids get saved one day. If, if you do, you're going to start living the gospel, sharing the gospel, praying over them every day. If, if you really hope for that. You're not going to drop them off going, that's somebody else's job. If you really hope that God speaks to you, even when you open the Bible, it's not going to be that, like this random once a week and just kind of open it wherever I open it, God say something to me. You, you, you're, you're going to read and you're going to listen and you're going to study and then you're going to go, I, I'm going to obey what God just told me. Right? I mean, if you come to church and you're like, well... We did that today, did that, 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 that. We don't do that. We walk with Jesus every day. And we, we collectively worship and encourage and try to spur one another on to loving good deeds. We're not doing that. We're walking with Jesus. I mean, that's, that's what we're, we're about being fully alive in Christ, being all we can be and the best we can be for the glory of God. How does it happen? I, I got to know Christ in a personal way. You know the old hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest friend, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Jesus Christ is my thrill of hope. Is Jesus Christ in a personal, daily walk with the resurrected king? Is that your hope? Or are you hoping in the horizontal? And I invite you, hope in Christ, because hope in God will never disappoint.